This is the Final Whistle podcast from the Wrexham AFC media team. Hello, welcome to the Ask Wrexham podcast. I'm Mark Griffiths from Wrexham AFC and I'll be trying to answer your questions that you've sent in using the hashtag ASKWXM which we use during matches so you can chat to us but we never get round to them all because they are so brilliant and we have to keep one eye on the game, eh? And also because lots of things come up that we just think deserve a bit more than just one quick answer in the broadcast. So here we are. Let's answer a few of your brilliant questions. Now then, let's get cracking. Firstly, Lloyd Dabler. And I'm so glad you asked this because I really want to explain the situation. Lloyd says... Do you also announce the women's games? I learned this week that Rob and Ryan own the women's Wrexham team as well. I'm on a mission to get them to produce welcome to for the women now. I believe US football appreciation grows faster with women's teams than men. I think you you have a fair point there. And certainly the women's team, of course, in the States has always been a bit ahead of the curve uh, compared to most other countries. I don't. We don't have commentaries of those matches. Um, I have to explain why. There is a good reason. Well, firstly, I don't because I'm a volunteer and I would absolutely love to do the women's games. I genuinely would. It would be a pleasure. I just don't have enough time. You know, my full-time job and producing all the, the men's team stuff, I, I genuinely haven't got time. And, and the other element of this I have to emphasise is that I really don't like it when people do a sort of half-hearted job of something I feel if I'm going to do something I have to throw myself into it now because I don't get to see the women's team we have debated and, and talked about this as a media team that you know we do Dragonheart and you know Dragonheart I feel ideally should have lots of content about the women's team the problem is I feel that if I don't watch the women's team I don't feel qualified to talk about it and, and I just can't find the time and I'm not willing to like phone in uh, a sort of generic oh they won 3-0 oh isn't Rosie Hughes good sort of thing because anyone can see that by just looking at a match report on the website so I would absolutely love to but I, 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 I can't do it in the current circumstances unless I do a half-hearted job and uh, I think that would be doing everybody down. Uh, I have so, said to Gemma Rowan, the, 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 of course, is such an important figure in the women's side of the team, the club, uh, about this, you know, just so she understands. I'm not just ignoring the women's side. It's very much the opposite. Um, I'd love there to be more coverage, but in my current situation, I, I wouldn't be able to offer it at a level they deserve. Hope that, hope that makes sense. Um, Michelle Olsen just jumped in in time i was about to record this when i saw these two tweets um michelle's love would love our comments on the three sides and seating areas of the race course besides the cop where do we sit in the commentary and which side does a team enter from other interesting characteristics of each side right so let's try and visualize this we've got the cop which is derelict behind one goal then the commentary team, we are in the Wrexham Lager stand, so we would look to our left to see the cop. I hope that makes sense. Um, that stand was built in the, the mid-70s. It's a sort of generic 1970s football stand. In fact, Chester's old ground used to have a stand that was pretty much identical. It's got two tiers, except Chester didn't pay for the extra bottom tier, if you will. So it's got like seating coming down, and then Chester's version just then had a brick wall and a gap with gravel uh, between it and the pitch where we have a terrace so it used to be standing i was remember the first ever game watching a match standing was on that terrace um <laughs> when i was a little kid my dad convinced me bless him that we should bring a stool into the match so i could see uh, this may well have been wise when he was younger it wasn't wise in the modern turnstiles. We only just managed to get this big stool through the turnstile. And then I stood on the front row holding on to the fences. Because you used to have fences then. Uh, for Wales against West Germany. That's a long, long time ago. I'll tell you something else which we don't see in football grounds anymore. There was a dog show before the match. That's how long ago it was. Um, so that used to be standing. Now that's been seated for, gosh, a good 15 years at least. Um, that's... Well, that's the main stand, if you will. There's offices and all the club uh, sort of 
facilities or underneath that, the changing rooms, when you let the players come out from that side. Having said that, I mean, it's inadequate for the modern requirements of a football club in terms of infrastructure. It's fine as a stand, a good view of the pitch. Um, you know, but the infrastructure required in a modern football ground is a lot greater than what that can offer, which is a, a, a secondary reason why we'll build a cop, because we've already put in a sort of semi-permanent cabins outside in the car park for office staff to work in, because uh, the new ownership have done a really good job renovating and trying to make better use of the space under the stands, but when the new cops built, there'll be proper office space and infrastructure to actually modernise the ground and, and allow people to work in better conditions. I'm not trying to make out it's a Victorian sweatshop, um, but it's, uh, it's definitely an Edwardian sweatshop. So, yeah, so that's that stand. So, so that's sort of the main stand, if you will, traditionally. Then, going across to opposite the cop, is the... Well, it hasn't got an official name at the moment, actually, I don't think. So there's, the, there's no sponsor for it, and the stands are sponsored. So I don't know, I, I guess some people call it the university end. More traditionally, it used to be called the tech end, because what is now Glindu University, which is behind that goal and behind the Wrexham Lager stand, used to be a technical college, hence it was called the tech and so the traditional name really is the tech end for that end. It's had a few sponsors' names as well. Um, but those then tend to stick in British football, maybe as much as they do in uh, football in North, sport in North America. And that used to be, traditionally, the away end. So it used to be, again, seats on the top part, and you'll see on the screen seats on the bottom part, but that used to be just the same as Wrexham Lagerstand. They match each other. Um seats at the top and it used to be a terrace at the bottom that used to be the away end um often it was only the terrace being used really uh, but there was one disastrous act in the mid 80s which i remember watching with horror uh, they decided to let kids come in for a pound and so the top because the top area was always empty once we went into decline and so the top area, they said kids for a pound, and they did it for a couple of matches, and it really worked well. There were lots of kids in there making lots of high-pitched noise, and it was wonderful. And then we played Hereford, a club who were a fair distance from Wrexham, a good couple of hours by car. But they, I think, see us as rivals, if I'm honest, I think a little bit more than we see them as rivals. And there was trouble. The Hereford fans in the standing area below started climbing up to have to attack the little children in the top stand it was horrible uh, after that as you can imagine we stopped doing that initiative but since the cop which is the traditional home ends uh, for the supporters has been derelict we've converted that stand to be the home end so that's why Wrexham like kicking towards it in the second half it's a traditional football thing that you try to attack your fans in this towards in their direction rather in the second half I don't mean attack the fans like the Edward fans days and then, as a result, you get a bit more inspiration. Uh, it's also facilitated, let's be honest, by the fact that in the National League, there are not many away supporters. Now, I guess in North American sports, my assumption, correct me if I'm wrong, is that really away supporters aren't a thing that much because of the huge distances involved. Um, it's also true in a lot of European football that you don't get many away supporters. But in Britain, the tradition is that you will have away support. Um, but National League is you know there's a lot of small clubs so it's perfectly common for us to get less than 100 away fans and so rather than accommodate them and give them a whole stand or a whole terrace they are now accommodated in the part of the Wrexham Lager stand nearest the tack end in a small strip because generally that's enough that's why you see those segregation areas. We have a question about segregation later on. If I'd realised I was going to head in this direction, I'd have mentioned it. I think I mentioned it in the commentary last week that I was actually in that tech end stand for its opening match, which was in the late 80s, might be early 80s, no, sorry, late 70s, might be early 80s. Um, and my dad and I decided we'd go in it because it's a new stand. We had the last two tickets right up in the top right corner, which we assume meant it was sold out. It certainly appeared to be. We were playing West Ham United. That was when we were in the second division, the second tier. And it was a remarkable game, which Wrexham won 4-3. So, yeah, that's, that's that stand. Then opposite is the Macron stand, traditionally the Mould Road stand over on that side. That used to be a big wooden structure. It was actually two stands. It was quite odd. There was a, a, a stand 
nearest attack ends that was slightly diagonal and then a hot, uh, another that went a longer one that went parallel to the stand at uh, the pitch and the effect of that was that it had quite a big terrace in front which was deceptively big uh, you could get quite a lot of people in there without it really looking huge that was knocked down and replaced in 1997 by the stand you see there today, which is by far the most modern and most impressive stand. It's got nice concourses underneath, whereas the others don't. Attack End notoriously is really squashed underneath. One of the first things the new owners did in terms of infrastructure was expand there as much as you can. Um, and of course, the, the big feature of that is at the cop end of the Macron stand, is the Turf Hotel, of course, so famous from the TV show, which was the changing rooms. That part of it's been demolished now, but the players used to change in the, the attic of the Turf and then come down the steps through the pub onto the pitch. Uh, that used to have a view of the pitch, and when I was a kid, I used to, <laughs> until they built that stand in 1997, there's the balcony on the back of the Turf, and people... Well, uh, permission of the landlord would stand there and watch the game for free uh, but the, the mold road stand when it was built the macron stand now curves around the turf and blocks that view off so i'm afraid there's nothing to see in that mold road stand so i hope that answers that uh, michelle i'm happy to go into more and more detail on that sort of thing it kind of fascinates me um michelle also had a follow-up which was about a string about the fantastic luke young right now then i agree he is fantastic. It's Tom Williams who's, who's put this out, and he's done some good statistical stuff on the National League. He's worth a follow. He said that he put up a thread on Young and covered why he, might, he could be the most important Wrexham player. I've not had a chance to read the thread yet. Like I said, I only saw Michelle's tweets, but I will say Young is a captain, and deservedly so. He is a genuine example to the others. Uh, I'm a massive fan of Young. Before I say anything else, I will say as well that his demeanour off the pitch is admirable. He's a good bloke. Uh, he's genuinely nice fella. I'm led to believe that straight after the Coventry match, he, he took part in the celebrations for a little bit and then ran out in his kit into the car park just to make sure his daughter and his little kids were actually safely in the car and, and were okay to get home. Um, that's the sort of guy he is. He's, he's a very genuine man. When I've spoken to him, lovely bloke. Um, He's an excellent player, and he's had an interesting time at Wrexham. Um, I think I think I'm right now with, with Christian Dibble sadly leaving. That he and Rob Lainson are our longest-serving players. They both came in the same summer. Um, Young, for me, has always been consistently impressive. There have been times when the fans have gone off him a little bit. I felt it was incorrect. I felt it was more, there was a time when we played him and a midfielder who now plays for Halifax, Luke Summerfield, in the middle of midfield. And they were criticised because they would lose control of the game in the middle of the pitch. And my argument was, it was a tactical thing. I, I felt that both of them were playing well. But the formation we played meant they were rather isolated in the middle of the pitch and they could get overrun or bypassed. It wasn't, for me down to them it was down to the structure around them they were performing well without enough support and I, I i don't want to simplify this but let's just put it this way at the moment we play a midfield with three players plus the wing backs come up to help so you've almost got five players in the middle of the pitch the way we were playing it was more young and summerfield on their own so you, know, you could bypass them you get down the sides of them you could you could stretch them and separate them much too easily and then once you separate players out and they're isolated, you can pass the ball around them because you outnumbered them. Uh, now our system is much better. Young in, in a three has got that support, and I think he's terrific. I mean, the thing that new fans won't have seen as much of, but mind back, go back on YouTube, see there's a lovely Luke Young compilation video. My gosh, he's got a great shot on him, and he scores goals. The season before the um, takeover, he got 12 goals. Admittedly, some were penalties, loads to be fair to him. He had a 100% record of penalties, but he can strike a ball from distance. I mean, really, I mean, that wonderful goal he scored the other week, that's nothing <laughs> compared to what he can do. He can score from further out than that with power that was intelligence placing it in like that realizing the goalkeeper was off his line but he can slam it past the goalkeeper with power from much further out he won when we relaunched the the goal of the season trophy which was named after a dear friend of mine steve edwards who sadly passed away well before his time who was a brilliant commentator with me 
and it was an honour to have his name attached to the trophy. Um, the first time we gave out that specific trophy, Young won it with a glorious goal. So Google, well, look on our YouTube channel for Luke Young Dagenham, and you will see a magnificent example of how to hit a football. And he's always scored a few like that, except last season, weirdly got no goals, because he is someone who will chip in. But that's, that's a icing on the cake. His work rate is phenomenal. His fitness is remarkable. He never seems to tire visibly. Um, he's really got high standards. When he was made captain by Phil Parkinson at the start of last season, some people were critical of this, and I just couldn't understand why. I, I, he's not a demonstrative, scream and shout, bang your chest sort of bloke. That doesn't mean he's not committed, though. I think in Britain we do this a lot. We we mistake loudness for desire. Anyone can be loud. Nobody who watches Young could doubt his desire to do well and for the team to win. Um, and in his quiet way, he is driven. And and on the pitch, I think he's a lot louder than people appreciate. And I think he is somebody who demands high standards from other players. I remember the first game as captain, he had a coming together with Kyle Storer, the guy who was sent off for Solly Hull against us on Boxing Day this season. And Storer used to play for Wrexham. He is a real hard-nosed leader, if you will. And uh, Young was not for backing down. They were toe-to-toe -to -toe and the referee had to separate them. And I thought that told us a lot about Young's attitude. He, he run through a brick wall, to, to use the cliche. And he's also a good passer of the ball. Uh, he's, so he's a really good all-round midfielder for me. And the fact that Parkinson's been bringing in such quality in midfield, but Young retains the captaincy in his place, I think tells you a lot. I also feel uh, there's something he does. Watch out for it. When we're moving the ball around he's uh, and you know they call it horseshoeing you know we've seen when the other side's defense have gone quite deep and we're like passing the ball around the sides and back and around the other way and we when we do that we're trying to drag them out of shape we're trying to pull people out of position so that we can find a gap and then someone like lee or whoever will go in there well young is good at doing that sort of thing and you watch you'll see him doing this so a couple of times a game, we're doing that, and the tempo is quite slow. And then Young will spot an opportunity, and he'll take a very, how can I put this, positive first touch. The ball comes to him, and we've been moving the ball around in this horseshoe shape, and it's not that fast, and it's not that testing. It's more we're looking and probing. And then he sees that opportunity, and he'll have this positive first touch, where he'll bang it out from between his feet in front of him. Sometimes he does this just to inject pace, uh, instant move and just catch the defenders out they just start to settle and feel relaxed and then suddenly he's moved it quickly and he's put energy in. and then the rest of the team know right okay he's put energy into this and then he'll often do something decisive then he won't do that and then slow it down again he'll do that and then try and play a killer pass or as we saw at Coventry something he's very good at which people maybe don't notice that much He's very good at putting early crosses in from the wings. If you took, you'd look at the ball being played into the penalty area from the wings, the traditional idea is that if you can get to the the goal line along the, the line where the posts are, you've got a much better angle to put a cross in that can be attacked. And that is true. And that's why a player like, say, Ford likes to try and go around the outside and, and get past the player get to that goal line and then put the ball into the danger area. It's easier to get onto that and head towards goal then. It's much more difficult when you're further out, say 30 yards out, to put a really good ball in. It's easier for the defenders to adjust, get their body shape right, see it coming and head it clear. It's much easier for the defenders when the ball's coming from that sort of angle. Um, that's one of the reasons why David Beckham was so highly rated as a player, was his ability to really strike accurate crosses from those sort of positions young can do that young will often first time or after that aggressive first touch whip a ball in and like i said that first goal by sam dolby is a beautiful example of that at coventry where you play it to young and you just know young's going to deliver and he just takes a touch to push it in front of him i think he took a touch didn't he? and then bang this was a beautiful passing behind the center backs um andy morell i remember talking to me while he was commentating with me once he was brilliant saying you you, uh, you know, people often think you need to whip the ball in with pace. You don't need to do that. You need to try to avoid the defenders and put the ball in an area where your attacker can just attack it because that's their job. Some like Dolby, his job is if you put the right ball in between the centre-backs or Dolby's closest, he can attack it and head it in the corner and score. 
and that's exactly what Young does very well. Just popping in these first time balls. You, you watch him; he's got his head up. He, he's got that angle of looking in, and he'll pop those balls in with his right foot. Bang! In between players. That's why they put him on the right side of the midfield three. Pop him in there. I love Luke Young. Uh, he's a tremendous player, and, and a superb servant. And Wrexham are very, very lucky to have him. A grumpy sports fan. Is it safe in the stadium? I love this. To be shouting and celebrating while commentating at away venues, especially last-minute goals to win the match. What a fine question that is. Well, generally, I'd say oh, there needs to be a, a bit of decorum in press boxes. Um, and although I might go, woohoo, we've scored, personally, that will then be it. So then I've got the job of describing it. I don't think anybody really minds people getting a little bit excited. In fact, you listen, you'll see non-club commentators doing the same thing just to make it dramatic, a good listen, if you will. Um, celebrating is more dubious. I wouldn't expect people to be on their feet or, or celebrating it as such. It's more that you're reporting it. And if you get excited about reporting it, I think that's fair enough. Having said that, is it safe? Depends on the configuration of the ground, quite frankly. Um, although I would say in general, and despite the reputation of British football fans, you know, to be honest, pretty much the only people who are going to be difficult are the, the ones who go looking for trouble, and they tend to be in specific ends of the ground, i.e. behind the goals, the sort of hardcore areas, not on the halfway line in front of the press box. Um, the vast majority of fans in away games who talk to me are lovely and friendly. And also, I do feel, although, look, I'm biased. I want Wrexham to win. But I don't feel I'm biased in terms of describing what's happening. If Wrexham playing badly, I'll say it. If they were started playing well, I'll say it. I'll praise their players or criticise our players. You haven't heard me doing that too much if you're a new fan because there's been very little to criticise lately. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to say, and this is one that means a lot to me, that I've often had opposing fans come up to me at half-time, if we weren't broadcasting at half-time or after the match, and say, oh, this thing sticks in my head, you're very fair. And I really appreciate that because I, I want to give an honest vision of what's going on on the pitch. So generally, people are nice. You occasionally get the odd situation. I've had two this season, but again, you know, rather cowardly. It's certainly safe. I and mean, what happened at Coventry and at Oldham was that as the final whistle went and a home fan, just one middle-aged bloke, both times I think looked older than I am, and that's saying something, as they walked off, they tried to have mouth at me and the other commentators um, yeah, that's not a very brave thing to do because we are commentating and they know that we can't do anything about it so they're not being brave they're not going to do anything to us while we're commentating they're not going to do anything to us full stop so yeah generally it's okay I had a weird experience at Crawley once where this incredibly grumpy scary tough looking old man sat next to me and didn't like the fact that because there were a lot of press that I was sitting in the seat next to him I sort of managed to calm him down by acting flattering towards him i just wanted to keep myself in one piece so he was okay um and the one time i've genuinely felt a bit threatened and i'm not saying it can't happen i remember a, a welsh international player doing commentaries at swansea who was well known for being a cardiff player those two teams don't get along um and he was walking up and someone punched him in the face as he was walking up to the press box this is a good 20 years ago now but you know we never know these things happen but the one time I've genuinely felt this could spill over was at Birmingham, 1997, very famous cup run for Wrexham. And we were playing Birmingham away, a big club Birmingham. And we won. It was a brilliant performance. But near the end, one of the Birmingham players got sent off. Um, and it was a definite red card. In fact, the referee was a well-known referee. Martin Boddenham was known for not punishing people. But he gave a straight red card to this guy, Paul Devlin. He just jammed his studs into Wrexham player Martin Jorks' knee. No question, it was a red card. Um, I called it as that. And, oh, all the Birmingham fans in front of me turned around. And oh, they were shouting all sorts of abuse. They were frightening. They've always traditionally had an element of fans Birmingham that are a bit scary. But I was fine. Because, like I said, the configuration of the grounds... 
the press box had this weird little like, sloping roof thing in front of it. I don't know what it was, something under, underneath the stand. So they were a good 20 feet away from me and couldn't get at me. So I, it was a little unnerving because I think if I'd been like a lot of away press boxes right next to them, I think I might have been in trouble. But I wasn't. So I wasn't. Now then, ah, Jim from Monticello said, with all the postponements throughout the league, we'll each get a chance by the season's end to get their 46 games in. Notts County currently has a nice lead over Chesterfield uh, because of having more games played. Not with about Wrexham. They'll be number one. Well said, Jim. Um, yeah, they will. They'll have to. They've got to. The, that, that end point of the season is the end point of the season, and it would take something remarkable for any team to be allowed to play after that. So, if needs be, they will have to play a game every midweek. If needs be, they might have to play more than one game in midweek. That would be absolutely shattering for a team. I must say, this is not the worst winter by a long stretch. Um, there's a question last week, or is it on this one later on? If so, I may prematurely answer it. You know, how many games are you going to get off in the winter? Impossible to answer, because Britain has, has got such a variable climate um, that, that you, can, you, you don't know what's coming till it comes. So you can have some winters where, oh, you get multiple games called off and you have a terrific backlog, and other winters where you essentially don't get anything called off. It's very, very variable. But they have to fit it in somehow. They've got to. I remember Braintree, who were a team in the league below us, uh, five, six years ago, maybe a bit more, had terrible problems with their pitch. Gateshead did as well, actually. Um, now, Braintree... Well, they both ended up like having to squeeze games in at the end. The idea with the postponements is that the, the league asks you to try to rearrange the game within 30 days. So if you get an early season postponement, you try and get it replayed soon so it doesn't lead to a backlog at the end if you're kicking the problem down the road. And if you, if you think about it, that's what's happening at Wrexham now. We've got a, after this week, we've got a chunk of what, five midweek games in a row, something like that. But after that, we're clear. We've got rid of all the the backlog. We've got rid of all the midweek games. So all the remaining midweek games are out, are empty. So theoretically, we're laughing. Theoretically, we'd be fine. Two, three more postponements. Certainly, we'll put strain on the players. We don't want that. But it wouldn't endanger the season. Um, yeah, Braintree, I remember playing, having to play three games in the week. Gateshead, I think, did. Although Gateshead took the decision to play their games at a different club's ground. So we actually played them at Hartlepool, which is, well, it's not that far away. 20 miles away, maybe. There's quite a few northeastern clubs around Gateshead. Um, so they, I think, addressed it that way because their pitch was genuinely unplayable. Braintree, I never quite understood this, um, got an FA grant of six-figure grant to relay their pitch completely, which... Seem terribly generous of the FA. I mean, all other clubs have to pay for their pitches. So I don't know. But essentially, yeah, the season will get finished. Don't worry, Jim. Um, you're right to point out that discrepancy with Notts County and Chesterfield as well. I mean, since you've written that tweet, of course, Notts County have won again, but are still aren't above us. Chesterfield have lost heavily at Barnet, and uh, that probably takes them out of the reckoning to win the league, I would say. Um, if they win all their games in hand, they, they'll still be seven points behind us. And that's a big if, isn't it? Uh, it? It's better, I think, to have the points in the bag than the games in hand because you have got to win all those games to try and make up the ground. So, yeah, I'd rather, much rather be in our position than Chesterfield. And I'd rather be in our position than Notts County where we're, you know, we've got that, well, if we, if we, we're level, but we've got a game more. I'd, I'd prefer that. Um, Al Hannah saying about Chesterfield having to delay their game. This was from last week, and actually it was called off in the end due to pitch issues. Ah, oh, this is I did answer it. I'm sorry, Al. What time of year do I have to stop having to worry about frost and weather postponing matches? I mean, really, usually January, February are the worst months. It's very mild at the moment. It's quite nice at the moment for this time of year. Um, by March, you'll still you may get the odd game called off, but you'd be unlucky. You can get the pitch waterlogged, of course. Uh, so it doesn't have to just be frost. It can be heavy rain that causes a problem. Um, but generally, March is, you'd think, would probably be the cut-off point. But like I said in my last answer, you can't guarantee it. The British weather is incredibly unpredictable. And although we don't have extremes, we have a lot of variety going on a lot of the time. So, I mean, I, I've certainly seen cricket matches called off in May because of snow. And cricket's our summer sport. So I would say reasonably, 
that December, January, February are the worst times, especially I think January and February. But you know, you, you can still get games called off after that point. Darren's happy place. Let's suppose for a moment that Wrexham gets promoted to the EFL. What would be a derby they would have at each level of football? Something that would whet your appetite even more than a pork pie. Is such a thing possible? Well, <laughs> right. Chester's our traditional rivalry. Although they're doing pretty well in the league below us, they are in the league below us. So, you know, that, that's the big, big rivalry. Now, Shrewsbury are, hang on a second, two leagues above us? I've lost track of the Football League. Shrewsbury, I'd say, are our next level of opponents. And I think a lot of the Wrexham fans are looking forward to playing Shrewsbury again because we played them in the season we got relegated for the Football League. That was the last time we played them. They thrashed us at Shrewsbury. It was 3-0. It could have been more. Um, and I think it left a bad taste in the mouth. That was near the end of the season. That was a game that extinguished an awful lot of what remained of our hopes of surviving. And I think a lot of Wrexham fans love the idea of going to Shrewsbury and getting revenge with a strong team. Not least because um, they used to have a very old traditional ground, which I loved going to, uh, right in the heart of the town. But they've moved, they've sold this, and they've moved to a, a, a purpose-built arena outside the town. And please don't get me wrong, it's a really nice ground. It's very impressive. Um but that's the only time we played there, I'm pretty sure. And we got beaten 3-0 and it could have been more. So I think a lot of Wrexham fans quite fancy going there and making amends. Not least because we sort of spoiled their farewell to their old ground by, by winning a match <laughs> right at the end. of That might have been their final match there, I think. So, yeah, Shrewsbury's an obvious one to watch out for. They tend to yo-yo between League 2 and League 1. Tend to. Um, other local ones, um, there's Port Vale. I should really get a You know what? I, forgive me. I'm just going to get my phone up and get the Football League <laughs> tables up. I should have done this before. I do apologise. That's very amateurish of me. But hey, I'm an amateur, so I've got an excuse. Um, let's have a little look at the different divisions. Now, of course, you've got to remember, but like I talked about... Um, Hereford last time that if you've got you know sometimes a rivalry can be held more from one club than another so we might be excited at playing a local team who really don't think much of us because they've traditionally above us um i suppose you might oh, i don't want to sound oh no i'm not going to say that's tempting fate yeah i'm shutting up about that um okay i'm looking at league two now well okay what is a derby what is a game that you really feel wound up by? I think a lot of Wrexham fans were a bit frustrated by Salford when they went up. We had a bit of a rivalry with them. They came up to our league. They've got money put into the club and they went straight through our league in one season. And I think a lot of Wrexham fans were a bit frustrated by it, not least because we played a double header Christmas New Year. We beat them 5-1 at the race course. It was fabulous. And I think everyone at that point thought we were going to win the league. We went to Salford, lost 2-0. Um, but... I think that would have something, although there's no tradition. That's the only time we played them. There's absolutely no tradition. It's about an hour away by cards, and the, it's a it's it's a city itself actually. Like we were talking about Gateshead and Newcastle with Manchester, but yeah, Mansfield is further away, so you know a local derby. But there is some rivalry. They came down at the same time as us, and we were competing to both go up at the same time. It's not a huge rivalry, that really though. And then just looking further down, well, there's a, there are two very obvious mid-table teams in League 2 at the moment who would be Derby rivals. After Chester and Shrewsbury, I would say our next biggest rival is Tranmere Rovers. They're on the Wirral. So if you look at a map of Merseyside, you've got Liverpool. And then you've got a, an estuary. An estuary. Uh, oh, gosh. Peninsula. That's <laughs> it. Sorry. Geography. Uh, next to it, and that's the Wirral. Um, and Tranmere is the one professional team on the Wirral and so they're traditional rivals of ours that's less than an hour away so th that's a proper rivalry and then also of course Stockport now Stockport's about an hour away it is a rivalry I think it's greater now after what happened last season um, let's see looking down the rest Grimsby would obviously have a, an element of rivalry but in all honesty I think we I think there's a n nice positive rivalry with Grimsby um, 
Newport County as a Welsh match and they beat us in a playoff final at Wembley in 2013. So that's a that would be a game with a bit of a needle in it. And then also Cruz about an hour away. So there's quite a few teams about an hour away who would be seen as rivals, certainly not as fierce as Chester and Shrewsbury. And Tranmere, I, I think I'd push them a little bit into that category. But there's quite a few teams in League Two. That would be interesting. It's... <laughs> National League is quite concentrated towards the southeast, and it's been a striking thing for us because we really, you know, instead of having regular, fairly local games with a bit of edge to them, we got very few. Um, Rochdale are bottom of the league, so they may well come down to the National League. We may miss them if we go up. Um, that's just over an hour away. It's just the north part of Manchester. So there's quite a few there. Walsall's about an hour and a half. I wouldn't say any great rivalry, but, you know, fairly local clubs. Clubs you can get to fairly easily. Okay, let's have a quick look at League One. I think that beyond Shrewsbury, it might not be quite so exciting. Um, hmm. Yeah, this isn't looking... Bolton's not a rivalry. It's, it's just over an hour away, but it's not really... We don't cross their paths very often. It'd be fun for us to go there. Shrewsbury are doing well in League One. And then looking through the rest, Port Vale is about a mile away. It's by Stoke. Stoke's a slightly strange place, so not, not, not in the pejorative sense. It's actually, is it five or seven towns, one of which is a city, Stoke itself, all like running into each other. And Port Vale is in Burslem, which is one of the towns. Um, that seems to be, it's only about an hour away. That seems to have a bit of edge because, it, well, sadly, the hooligan elements seem to see that as something that's a big thing I wouldn't say it's particularly a big football rivalry if I'm honest and then looking around the rest well Fleetwood are there now they're over a mile hour away just about I say about an hour and a half um, up in Lancashire on the coast they're seen as rivals for us oh you know what I'm going to jump on to another future question so I apologise when I'm answering this there was a question about um, how what the most points are for a second-place team. Well, I'll do that in more detail later, but I will say Fleetwood play a part in that, so there could be some some feeling in that one. And then there's not really any of us in League One, and then by the time we get into the Championship, I really would say that, firstly, they'd all be exciting, because they're big clubs, and secondly, I think any rivalry would be very one-sided from us. Burnley, Sheffield United, these are all big northern teams, although not quite local. Middlesbrough, Blackburn Rovers, but these are not teams we've played for a long time. Luton are up there. They were in the National League 10 years ago and beat us in the playoffs. But I think that rivalry has dialed down a little bit. Yes, there's no real teams in there. I mean, Swansea, because they're Welsh, and Cardiff, because they're Welsh, and Cardiff used to be a very hot rivalry in the early 90s when both teams were going up the divisions together but I think a lot of Wrexham fans feel that Cardiff have a little bit of a patronising view of Wrexham now with a little team Swansea I, I don't feel have really had that much either way there are two teams in the relegation zone with Cardiff are as well actually that are sort of a little interesting which are the bottom two, Blackpool. We've played a Blackpool traditionally at the same sort of level as us, but they always tend to beat us. And Well, until quite recently, our record improved. And Wigan. A Wigan, a, quite a small town to have a club, and also a traditionally rugby league town. But their football team only got into the football league late 70s and has done really well. Um, but I can't say it's a hot rivalry, so they're not massively supported. I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't see that as the hot game. It's only about an hour away again. How many times have I said only about an hour away? Everywhere's about an hour from Wrexham. Hope that helped. <laughs> um, Kurt Bennett. Besides, I mentioned earlier that uh, this is before the Gateshead game. Was it? No, Mason. Uh, we need to win by at least two goals to go over Notts County. I believe as I summed to how goals count when points are tied. Maybe worth covering in the Ask Wrexham podcast. Kurt, your wish is my command. Well, quite useful maybe. The current league table illustrates this because right, obviously the first determinant, how many points have you got? So Wrexham and Notts County have both got 65 points. So it then goes on to goals, the goal difference. You can see on the table, if you're watching the video, both sides have for 70, so they've both scored 70 goals against, 
Well, we've let in 23 goals, and Notts County have let in 25. So the GD column is goal difference. How many goals you've scored, subtract how many goals you've let in. Andy Davis, by the way, explains this very well in reply to this tweet too. And so our goal difference is 47. 70 goals scored, minus 23 conceded. Notts County's goal difference is two worse. 70 minus 25 is 45. Therefore, we are above them. Now, the extra little level of complication before the Maidstone game, quite simply, was that um, we actually managed to end up level on goal difference as well. And so what determined it then was goals scored. So you go points, then goal difference, and if that's level, you go on to goals scored. So at the moment, actually, that's level. So you can see it's quite a tight rivalry between us, isn't it, really? Um, at the moment, at least. So, yeah, that, that's how they work it out. And other countries do it in different ways, and other tournaments do it in different ways. So don't assume this is definitive and how all competitions are run, because, you know, obviously the rules of football, the game itself are common, but how a competition is run is down to the organisers. So and in Spain, for example, they go on head-to-head -head records. So you might have a goal difference... 20 better than a team that comes level with you but if you lost them home and away or you lost away and drew at home they finish above you so there are other ways of doing it this is the traditional one years ago and this is before i was watching football to show how long it was they used to have something very complicated called goal average well i said that the concept wasn't complicated goals for divided by goals against if you think about it, it gives you the same sort of result but goodness me, at least there's more simplicity in this because as a last game of the season's going on, you can see who's ahead. Working out how many goals you need to score to go ahead and goal average could be a lot more complex. This is the one from Luke, who has a projection of how the National League will will pan out. And so what's the most points the teams finish in the season in second place at the fifth tier of the ladder? Because they're predicting Notts County will come second behind us with 105. Now then, firstly, I don't agree with this prediction. Um, I feel like they've perhaps just extrapolated out number of games left uh, against our form, which or you know, points per game. Uh, I don't think that's realistic. I think other things like catching up matches will uh, apply. You know, when games are postponed. So it says, it's basically saying Wrexham will get 111. Notts County 105, Chesterfield 100. I don't think, personally, I don't think Chesterfield will get to 100. I think it's perfectly feasible, doesn't Notts County will? And so to answer Luke's question, sadly, I refer back to what I mentioned before. In the 2012-13 season, we had a phenomenal team managed by someone I mentioned earlier, Andy Morrell, who played for us as well. And we got 98 points, a phenomenal total. But sadly... Fleetwood had spent a lot of money there. The owner who'd pumped money in. They're not a traditional big club at all. They hadn't been at our level before. And one of the players they spent money on was Jamie Vardy, who now, of course, is a Leicester player in the Premier League and plays for England, had played for England. He's retired internationally. And basically, they were very smart. They picked him up when he was younger. It's a bit like us signing Paul Mullen, although there were circumstances around him that don't apply to Mullen. A, a few big clubs had looked at him he clearly had the ability to play a lot higher but they I think weren't quite sure of his attitude so they didn't take the chance so Fleetwood's credit to them did well to bring him in had a lot of good players around him as well and they got more points they got over 100 points so we used to hold the record I think it still do hold the record for the most points in any of the top five leagues which didn't see a team get promoted 98 points it, it does hurt I'll be honest with you David, that's a beg your pardon, can't read. Daniel Lindahl says, and this is so true, the bottleneck of good teams in a National League battling for promotion must leave many a league or two below their potential. 100% right. If the teams from Premier Down were ranked on one ladder, where would this Wrexham team be right now? League 2? League 1? Now, obviously, this is supposition. Firstly, you're 100% right. Um, there do seem to be a genuine chance they're finally going to address this, and next season there will be three up, three down between the Football League and the National League, which I assume would be two teams automatic and then one team up through a playoff. I have heard talk that the Football League, because it is basically them granting an extra space, it's up to them, and that they may put a little complication in by saying that the team that finishes third bottom of their League 2 
will be in the playoffs with three National League teams. So they may stipulate that. All I've got to say, I think, that if you think about the basis of Daniel's question, I strongly suspect teams at the top end of the National League are going to beat teams at the bottom of the League too, if I'm honest with you. Um, as for how we would be ranked now, I my gut feeling is League One. If I'm honest, I'm I'm confident that should we go up this year, we will hit League Two running, and be challenging to go up immediately. I know not all teams have gone up and done that. You know, Stockport are mid table, for example. Uh, Grimsby a bit lower, aren't they? I think. But this a lot of these players have spent a lot of their time playing at League One level. Um, I think that's the level we're at, and we're well organised. So I. I reckon we've got a League One quality squad at the moment. Plus, remember, we would spend money on more high-quality players. There there will be players we've tried to get who will say that they like the idea, but is dropping down to National League a step too far. Being in the Football League has much more kudos. And we will be able to attract high-quality players more easily. and We'll get a lot more revenue coming in as well through TV deals, through much bigger away support. Which will you know will help us when the I I'm going to assume that when we open the cop, that the stand behind the other goal we mentioned before the tech end will become an away stand again I suspect, and you know we we will be making a lot more money and we'll be more attractive, so we'll upgrade squad the squad as well. So yeah, Daniel, I think currently League One and I expect us to to thrive once we go up. Jeff Callis, or if you're sorry if you're South American. You say as an American, to be fair, so I'm going to stick with Callis then. Um, as an American, the segregation of home and away fans is interesting. How does it all work? Uh, do away fans have a different entrance? Can they explore the stadium at all? What about neutral sites like Wembley? Excellent, excellent questions. Um, Jeff, essentially, right. <laughs> Traditionally, it used to be that the level Wrexham were at obviously had more small clubs because there was very rare that football league was a drop down and traditionally these clubs tended to not have segregation this was the level where segregation didn't happen um because there weren't big amounts of supporters there probably weren't big amounts of traveling supporters and there was more of a sort of bonhomie of non-league football fans together but as bigger clubs have gone down that's become less possible some clubs and they still do this reacted to this by having Announcing is it a segregated game or not? So when a club like Wrexham came, or Grimsby, or Mansfield, or Stockport, Luton, you have a segregated home match, and then if it was another small club, you wouldn't have, you'd have a non-segregated one. Gateshead playing against Bromley, there will not be many away fans at either of those games. There's no need to segregate. The traditional thing, and this used to be the case in the football league in the past, the traditional thing was that. You know, said about before about fans being behind the goal their teams attacking in the second half. Well, that used to be a 90-minute thing because the fans at half-time would just swap ends. They'd just walk around. Um, but obviously that's without segregation. Nowadays, non-segregated games are level are fairly rare, I would say. So how does it work? Well, they certainly do have different entrances. Having said that, generally, I mean, okay... There'll be a, what's called a safety advisory group for each club, and that'll be made up of representatives from the club, representatives of the police, representatives of you know other interested parties, local parties, and they will sort of lay down the the rules, if you will, and circumstances for each game. Some clubs categorise games in terms of you know, how big they are. I feel that's often more a stunt to raise prices than a security thing but for example tomorrow's game against Sheffield United there's going to be a lot of Sheffield United fans so yes you have separate entrances generally at Wrexham though that there's no there's no segregation around the ground you wander around you do what you want to do and nice like this how the football fans are friendly um, and the ones that you want to avoid you can usually see coming and they usually tend to gather, you know, in particular places that you know to avoid. Um, so generally, around the ground, there's no segregation. So you do have separate entrances, and inside the ground is segregated, but that's that. Having said that, um, we have we uh, believe that the police will make a decision 
tomorrow based on circumstance whether to put a barrier up outside the ground possibly just to make sure that you know when it comes to entrance into the ground maybe that they there's there's no danger of anything happening i think simply because of the volume of Sheffield United fans i don't think there's any sense that Sheffield United fans are troublemakers at all i think it's purely just the, the volume um so that tends to be how it happens happens all across europe that's that's the norm a sort of bizarre thing once uh, i went years ago with my dad to watch inter in milan play fiorentina and in italy there is serious violence sometimes um and it was a very peculiar thing where basically there was like a, a caged area in the car park and the away fans were brought in a bus and put in there and left there for quite a while and then when the riot police yeah riot police were ready they formed a sort of corridor on either side with their riot shields from the caged area to the away entrance so the fiorentina fans couldn't escape and the inter fans couldn't get at them now this sounds heavy-handed but effective didn't it it's actually heavy-handed and ineffective because after the match, it did the same thing. Clearly, though, the riot police weren't that bothered about actually protecting anybody, just about doing, you know, ticking the box saying, "Yeah, we did that." So my dad and I found a situation where we actually had to cross through the line in order to get to the tram stop to get back to the city, and we found when we walked up towards it that they were quite happily allowing Inter fans to crisscross while the Fiorentina fans were going. You could walk between the riot police. No problem. As we did it, someone threw a coin and hit a guy just next to us. He went down with blood coming out of his head. Dad and I just, you know, put on a slightly hurried stride as we moved on. Um, yeah. Um, so it, it, it can all vary. In terms, Jeff, of can you explore the stadium at all? No. If your, your, your section is segregated, you are in that section. You'll have a concourse underneath where you can buy food and drink. Uh, no, but you can't explore the stadium at all. Um, neutral sites will be segregated so you go to Wembley they'll be apart for one team apart from the other team so generally you can walk around a lot more I mean you can if you wish go around virtually half pretty much half the stadium on the inside I suppose you could on the in the in the ground as well I mean I mean concourse must be on the inside um, in Wembley the concourses have big metal doors that shut which are supposed to keep the two sides apart Um but yeah, it's segregated. You can't go into the other part. I hope that answers your question, Jeff. Ron Wilk, how'd you play two games simultaneously? That's because I put on a, a, a Wrexham Anorak about us going 13 games unbeaten, but then playing two games simultaneously. Oh, right. Now then, this can happen. It's very rare nowadays. It's ludicrously rare, but it did happen to us once in my experience of football, and that was in that brilliant season I mentioned we got 98 points we used to play in the Welsh Cup for political reasons that I won't go into now we were removed from it but I think the Welsh FA realised it would be beneficial if they could get Wrexham Swansea Cardiff Newport back into it and so for one season they did allow us back in however they wanted they also were aware that their own teams the Welsh FA teams in the Welsh League were not happy about this and so they didn't want to upset them too much and one of the things they did which was really silly i mean it was just one of those classic committee compromises where you should just grab the nettle and make a decision and say we've decided that that's that but they didn't was that the league of wales teams were allowed to essentially stipulate when the game took place so we drew airbus which is a team from a, a village called broughton it's there, really, because there's a big aerospace manufacturer, Airbus, and that's sort of their works team, if you will, although they're not people who work there. Um, they, you know, they bring players in, but they're funded by the company. It's a big international company, obviously. Um, and they drew us, and they, we said, well, okay, the, the games have to... Well, when they make these draws, they say the game has to be played by a certain date. You know, The idea is that at the weekend, it's going to be a certain date. Now, because we were not in the Welsh FA system, we would have a game on that day. And as luck would have it, it was the FA Cup. And we were thinking, okay, well, we don't want to get knocked out of the FA Cup, but if we are, we'll have an empty weekend and we can play this game. But we got through in the FA Cup and we drew Brentford, the Premier League current team, away. They were on their journey up the divisions at the time, going really well. They were top of League One. And we were obviously two divisions lower down. 
And so we had to play that on the Saturday. Airbus, given the choice of when to play, were approached by us and we said, please can we play on the Sunday? Our thinking was, we don't want to like play in midweek and risk injury to our best players. But if you if we, if we can play on a Sunday, then we're not going to play the players who played at Brentford on the Saturday, but we can use the seven substitutes plus, you know, you, you may br- take a couple of extra players down who aren't on the bench just in case somebody gets hurt, you know, on the way down or whatever, you know, emergency players. So we could use them and then bulk the team out with youth team players. Ever said no. You know, we're not doing that. We're playing you on the Saturday, and that's that. It's our decision. That's what the competition rules say. So we had two simultaneous games kicking off Saturday, three o'clock. Um, it's obvious what the priority was. We took the proper team down to Brentford and won. It was a fabulous game. And we picked a, a completely youth team-based side uh, against Airbus. Drew and lost after extra time. Ironically, the only game ever for Wrexham for Danny Ward, the Wales goalkeeper and Leicester City goalkeeper. Um, and he was extremely highly rated, a young lad at the time. Uh, he actually made a mistake that cost us the, the winning goal, but we don't hold that against him. Because let's be honest, I mean, it was a bit of a fiasco. So yes, uh, you can have that happen. In the olden days, this sort of stuff happened as well. And yeah, with maybe a little more regularity. And there was a case, oh my gosh, my mind's gone blank, against the team we played recently. Who was it? Where we were, we had to play one team. We, we we were playing Rill at home in the FA Cup, and then someone else in the league. Who was it? I put. It's, I think it might be this you're referring to. And we went the opposite way. We we prioritised the league and drew one all, and picked a reserve team, in the cup and lost to Rill. So it can happen, but in modern times, it really doesn't. Except for that once. Uh, Ryan Gay, what's the record for a distance fr- from a toes of throw have they ever measured? Not that I'm aware of. Uh, it may well for Wrexham be at Gateshead when he was allowed the run up <laughs> across the the, uh, the running track of as far as he wanted to, and he put his first one on. He put a hell of a long run up, and he he put it on the far post. That was a good one. And also, uh, can I explain how the home away kits work? We're away today wearing home kits. It's more primary secondary kit. 100% correct, Ryan, that's right. Uh, you have a first kit. Lazily called home and away kit by everybody, and the manufacturers call them home and away kit. But you have a first kit and a second kit, really. If possible, you should wear your first kit. Some things are taken into consideration. You know, sometimes it's commercial considerations. You look at Wrexham's white third kit. I think we just decided that would be more marketable if we said that's our FA Trophy shirt last year. So we were wearing that at home, weren't we? Um, so marketing can come into consideration. Sometimes it's quite surprising the sort of potential clashes they do allow uh, occasionally. And there's a growing movement in football in Britain, but I don't think it's grown enough, to be fair, to consider colourblind fans who have trouble differentiating with the, the tone, if you will, rather than the colour. So don't have two dark tone shirts. But that seems to be in its infancy because having had this issue explained to me, even I can see quite clearly some matches where a colourblind person would struggle to tell them there's two shirts, um, and yet it, it's allowed. So that's in its infancy, I think, but hopefully there'll be movement on that. Janie Lightning says, how long can the ball be held out, out for a throw-in? I was surprised McFadgen got a yellow card in the Coventry City match for taking so long. Yeah, um, essentially, it's the referee's decision. If he feels you're wasting time, he can give you a yellow card. There's no hard and fast rule. Um, so that's it's just if he feels you're taking the mick. Or you, you might see teams sometimes trying a little stunt where one player goes across to hold it and then puts it down and leaves it for the next guy. Um, you know, you sometimes get away with that. Sometimes the first person has really sold the second one down the river and they're going to get a yellow card. But it is totally up to the referee in terms of time-wasting, throw-ins or free kicks, any sort of restart, goal kicks. If they feel unhappy with the length of time being taken, they can penalise you, but it's their judgment. Um, They may warn you first, they may not. It's totally their judgment. It's completely up to them. Um, Berserker says, Hey, y'all from Dallas, Texas. Um, Oops-a-daisy. 
are we expecting any moves to be made as we near the end of the transfer window? And also, Janie Lightning had a similar question. And um, will we be able to sign players at any time during the year? As, as we can sign them any time during the year, can we sign players from the upper leagues if their teams are bound by their transfer window? That's a smart question. Right. I think the answer to the first question is that because we're not tied to the transfer window, there's no rush at the moment. We've got players coming back from injury, and I don't think there's a huge rush to do anything like that. But I wouldn't be surprised if we do maybe bring a player or two in in the course of the season just to freshen things up a touch, uh, you know, or if we do get injuries in a certain position. I mean, we are stretched at left-back, but Fadgen really is the only experienced player who can play there. Because... Uh, Jacob Mendy's injured, Bryce Susanna can play there, he's injured, uh, Jordan Davis can play there, he's injured. So that might be something we're having a little close look at. But if McFadden's okay, there's no need to rush us there because th those players are all coming back from injury. They're all expected to be fit fairly soon. And we've got four players who can play there. Do we need a fifth? So I don't think there's any urgent rush to address that. Does that make sense? At right back, we did have that issue with only Ford fit, um, but Hall Johnson has come back to fitness. Now, Hosanna can play there as well. He's not fit. So those wing-back areas look a little thin. Up front, we've talked for a while about the needs maybe to have a fourth striker, but it's got to be said, Dolby has stepped to the plate really well, and Jake Bickerstaff has, has developed really well. So I think we will bring in another striker at some point, but I think Bickerstaff's earned the right to be considered. Dolby certainly has earned the right to be considered. And I, I do think that makes Parkinson probably think, yeah, I'll look at this, but there's no rush. You know, for a team like us with no transfer window to consider, we maybe don't have to hurry. You may find that there's certain players who wanted to move in January and didn't want to drop down to the National League, but then they didn't get their move. That means they're definitely not going high in the National League. But then we turn up and say, well, are you still interested? And if they want to move, we're in pole position. Uh, as for uh, Janie Lightning's question, yeah, uh, the actual those players can just play. They can design for us, so it doesn't matter that they've got teams have got transfer windows. They can still come to us. Now then, this was a good one. Uh, Sean four oh seven was thinking of making a trip to the match when we visit London in February. Is that feasible to go there and back in a day? Yes, definitely. London is four-ish hours by car. Um, on the train, there are fast trains from London direct to Chester, which can take you know, between two, three hours. Make sure you get the right one, because there are some meandering trains that will stop everywhere. So make sure you get the fast direct one. Uh, I think it is just over two hours. And then Chester to Wrexham. Well, <laughs> actually, ironically, uh, the trains between don't always fit in, so you could end up hanging around Chester for a little bit, but... You know, the whisper it in front of Wrexham fans is a beautiful city. You know, spend a little bit of time there. Uh, so you can most definitely do that. I mean, I like, because I have to do things like edit the highlights, I, I really enjoy travelling by train. And I like um, often going to an away game by train and coming back, even when it's beyond London, down on the south coast, so I can edit on the way back up. So it's definitely possible. There were some other points then. Um, Jarvis saying we're away at Aldershot on February 18th. It's less than an hour away from London, that is, by train. Um, yes, uh, Sean needs tips on do's and don'ts for the National League game. Never been. Um, let me think. Well, well, Jarvis says about um, getting tickets in advance. Definitely, that's the case. It is absolutely true, Jarvis, that you should just turn up and get a ticket. That ain't going to happen. Certainly not at the race course if you're heading up here. You've got to get your tickets in advance and you've got to keep an eye on the website. You've got to be a member as well and just keep your eye on the website. See when they announce a game's going to be sold and be quick to get in there when that window opens because they do sell out. Away games, likewise, the away allocation could be sold out. Um, I'm going to say something now the club would not necessarily endorse, but if a sensible person in an away game would be able to get a ticket elsewhere in the ground. I mean, it's much more fun being in amongst Wrexham fans singing away. I wouldn't advertise the fact that you are supporting Wrexham because you could be thrown out of the ground for that. You know, if It depends how friendly the club is. Generally, clubs are friendly, and if you're not causing problems, they've got no problem with you. You know, We're all decent human beings. You won't have an accent that will identify as a Wrexham fan as well. 
Um, so yeah, you could do that, but you, you don't celebrate our goals then. <laughs> you know. Um, other tips for the national going to a national league game. Gosh. Ooh. Um, yeah. Generally, things are pretty friendly and relaxed. You. you, you uh, I don't know. Come to the club shop, definitely. <laughs> I can't think. Come to say hello to me if it's at the race course, please. Pop up and say hi. I, I, I'll have a th after I think. If I come up with something more, I'll uh, definitely chip in. And that is it, right? I'm Scarpering. Lovely to speak to you all again. I'm off to just get a final bit of prep ready for the Sheffield United game. However you consume that match, I hope you enjoy it. And remember, it's a shot to nothing. This is a wonderful situation we're in now. The league's a priority. We get a stab at glory against Sheffield United, but they're a hell of a good team. They should beat us. So let's just enjoy it for what it is. A chance to really go for it and enhance Wrexham's giant killing reputation. Hope you all enjoy the game massively and the usual stuff, of course, will all be out on Wrexham's channels afterwards. So, I am Mark Griffiths and I am going now. Bye-bye. This is the Final Whistle Podcast from the Wrexham AFC media team.